Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. known fact about my guest today. During a table read for her Broadway debut, she met the playwright, Neil Simon. 22 days later, they were married and for 10 years created a tremendous body of work. But after that, her story really begins. Welcome Oscar nominee, multiple Golden Globe, every award winner, Broadway, screen, television, director, race car driver, organic farmer, the unbelievable human that is Marsha Mason to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Marsha Mason. Marsha has received four Academy Award nominations for her roles in the films The Goodbye Girl, Cinderella Liberty, Only When I Laugh in Chapter Two. She has been the recipient of two Golden Globe Awards for her film roles and an Emmy Award nomination for her role on Frasier. Some of her other TV credits include The Middle, The Good Wife, Madam Secretary, and Grace and Frankie. Some of her Broadway roles include Impressionism, Steel Magnolias, The Night of the Iguana, The Good Doctor, King Richard III, and Cactus Flower. She has performed in England as well to critical acclaim. She's also a prolific director, an organic farmer, a race car driver. I could not be more honored to have the wonderful Marcia Mason on the podcast. Welcome, welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we are also speaking, I don't know if it's literally the day, but certainly around the day of the 45th anniversary of the film, The Goodbye Girl, the iconic film. And I wonder, before we get into so many other things, sort of what comes into your mind as you sort of grasp the idea of, of um, how much life has been lived since then and what a life yeah. was lived before then? <laughs> well, yeah, there's... God, I I hadn't actually even thought about it. Um, excepting we, I just had a great time. We had a great time making it and we had no idea it would be successful. Um, you know, so it was all kind of by chance and luck and good people and good work. So it was good. <laughs> What tremendous longevity. You know, my husband is obsessed with movies from the 70s and sort of does a mini film school for my kids. And just recently, um, I mentioned your film because I'd watched the cast reunion of The Goodbye Girl on Seth Rudetsky's Stars. Oh, yeah, yeah. House, which I just can't even begin to figure out how to thank them, Seth and James, for what they did during COVID. It's really extraordinary. Um, it is. It was amazing. They gathered. And so hearing your stories um, 
And what I really love for anyone who hasn't watched that, I recommend it, is just sort of the gracious way with which when Richard Dreyfuss told his version of how that film came to be, which was slightly different than your version of how the film came to be, you simply said, isn't it interesting how everyone just has different perspectives? <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, I'm, you know, I remember years ago, I mean, really a long time ago, um, I did a, I gave a commencement address at um, my school, my, my college, uh, Webster University, and um, the title was There is No Such Thing <laughs> as <laughs> Absolute Reality. I mean, um, there isn't because everybody's point of view is their own movie. It's their own film. It's their own percep perceptions and perspective. And especially um, if you try to look back that far, 45 years, I mean, you know, you just can't, you unless you, you transcribed your entire life at the moment that you were living it. Right. And even yeah. then, so one of the things you guys talked about, which you, which you agreed on, it was just a timeline of events that, that differed in whose idea was it to rewrite the movie. You said Neil's, Richard said Richard's, um, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> which I loved so much. Um, but, but you said at the time that, uh, Robert De Niro was originally set to do this film with you and it was meant to be directed by Mike Nichols. Is that in fact, like how deep into it were you before it all changed into Herb Ross and Richard Dreyfuss and a different title? Um, not, not very far. Um, we did some rehearsal and then we were just, we were just starting, literally starting to shoot. And, um, Mike and uh, Neil felt that they were on the, they had gotten it wrong. Do you know what I mean? That it wasn't gonna work. And Neil said, you know, he, he said, nobody's really interested in people who are successful. You have to, it's about, it's, it's about becoming, you know, it's the end of the movie is sort of where, um, it originally began. So Bogart Slept Here was the name, right? Yeah. Um, so I have so many questions uh, because it's Robert De Niro. He had just done Taxi Driver. So if you right. think of like uh, sort of the meta of it, right? Like he had, just, he had started in New York and was kind of a scrappy actor with all those guys. And suddenly he's plucked out and becomes this huge star. Um, in in Bogart slept here. What was the what was the plot of that? It was loosely based on an idea that Neil got from a conversation with. Um, that's sort of what happened to uh, to Dustin is that the graduate, you know, suddenly he went from this struggling off Broadway actor to uh, a, a big star. And Neil was very intrigued with what that was, you know, what that would be like. Um, and so that's how Bogart Slept Here started. Uh, and then it was a, a movie about this family moving to Hollywood and dealing with all the kind of craziness of Hollywood. But Mike had a certain 
percent, you know, uh, concept for the film. And it wasn't exactly what Neil intended. And so they, they were at odds about it to a great extent. And suddenly Neil realized that there wasn't any forward movement if there if you're just talking about what it's like to live in Hollywood. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, becomes a yeah. whole other thing. And then what happened was when um, they decided to shut it down and try to figure it out. Um, meanwhile, you know, they went ahead and were casting. Now, I knew that Richard had asked to audition, but I don't think Mike wanted him. He wasn't interested. And, um, and so what happened was in that interim period, while everybody, including um, the studio, was, you know, trying to figure out what to do, um, Neil said, I think I, I know what I should do. And so he quickly rewrote everything and um, it became uh, The Goodbye Girl. How incredible. To, and to so the end of The wild. Goodbye Girl is where Bogart's lecture is. That's started. so wild. Can you talk a little, did you know Robert De Niro before this mini rehearsal, mini shoot of of the film? No, 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 I had never met him. And um, it was really, he, he was so, he's such a brilliant actor. And he's, he's the kind of actor who at that time anyway, was really uh, had to live the role. So the person who came to do this romantic comedy was somebody who was wired like steel and he was still the taxi driver. So it was a very, very interesting, you know, experience to a certain extent. And also he said to me one time uh, early on, he said, well, um, I think we should live uh, on the set. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> I don't think my husband would agree, but, um, you know, let's see what we can let's do. Let's see what happens. It sounds like an SNL skit now, sort of the idea of Raging Bull, yes, you know, right. like Richard's right. Like, it's so amazing to think what could have happened. Also for you, I think you're married to the writer. Yeah. Um, obviously oh my you're, God. You're married while he's creating this character. Um, so you need to, like, you're hearing it on all sides. You go home with him. Yeah. You're dealing with like, oh, wait, it's not working between you and the director. <laughs> I'm in this movie. Like, that's my boss. Like, how did you? Was, I oh, mean, please. It was you, such. It was. <laughs> what can you do? I mean, and I was, you know, I was much younger then. I was less sure of myself. I was. Um, more intimidated by the genius of of everybody involved, including you know De Niro, and um, uh, it was just, it was it was so scary. It was just, it was very scary. And but it was fascinating looking back, mm -hmm. and it is kind of to your first question about looking back and the forty five years who I am now and who I was then um, is really a fascinating 
um, kind of not, it's, it's really a very, very clear, a kind of precise picture of my own maturation as a, an individual, as an actor, and as a woman. Mm. Because mm. I was, you know, I was very intimidated by the power of all those men. Right. Also, it, it was very misogynistic. Um, Ray Star, all of them, Neil, all, these are, you know, these were misogynistic men. Um, the way that they talked and how they thought of you and, or how they didn't, um, you know, that was just the way it was then. It was a generation um, that was different than it is now. And I'm just really thrilled in a way that I had the opportunity to find myself, you know, um, and to grow individually um, and separately from that kind of connection and um, and perception. And to do such incredible work under those circumstances, um, bravo, right? Like to still be able to- Well, it, the yourself. one thing that was fascinating about Neil and I, because that was our first, ex we were relatively, we'd only been married about a year and we only knew each other three weeks before we got married. so. And I stepped into, not very consciously, into a ready-made family and with a lot of sadness and grief because their mother had, you know, passed and Neil had not really given himself time to grieve. Um, so that whole first year was, wow. And then we made this big decision. He made the decision to move to California and it gave us a kind of beginning, you know, a new beginning. And the fact that he actually wrote the movie for me was kind of extraordinary because uh, a few weeks after we got married, he suddenly said to me, I, I can't, I can't be married to an actress. And uh, how are we, you know, he suddenly was like falling apart over it. And so I said, well, you know, uh, it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, but, um, you know, I made this, I made this uh, commitment and let's see how it goes. And then of course, you know, it made him feel better and easier and less frightened. And so then, you know, he wrote the, but we had no idea it was going to be what it was, you know, it was just this small romantic comedy and Ray was great about it. And, and, you know, we had no idea, uh, as a matter of fact, we were kind of nervous about it because Taxi Driver was the big picture and everything was quite dark then. I mean, mm -hmm. New York City was dark. It was bankrupt. Uh, you know, it was in a terrible place. The, um, and so we didn't know, you know, and right. fortunately it it connected with people who said, Oh, we ha we've got a picture that we can take our kids to or and that we can, you know, have a laugh and romance and so forth and so and on. And a female lead. I mean, yeah. that that I didn't even think, right, <laughs> think about. Right. Like unbelievable. Um, can I ask you? I mean, I know it's a long time ago, but but this is not apocryphal. You really knew each other three weeks when you got married. Yeah. So can you you had been cast in the good doctor yeah and you did not know him before or you did mm -mm. no uh -uh. okay 
So it's like table read wedding. Yes. <laughs> so, so can you like speak to that? Um, it was one of these kind of, I don't know, extraordinary experiences. I had been married before um, to a struggling actor who and painter and artist. And, um, and then I was single and I had had a couple of relationships and I was like, like I said, I was a lot younger and, and fairly naive and inexperienced. But when I go to do the table read of The Good Doctor, after uh, we took a break at the end of the first reading with everybody around, and Neil came behind my chair and he put his hands on my shoulder and totally instinctually, I, I patted it three times and it was, um, I, I had this absolutely extraordinary reaction. It felt like it was so familiar and old. And I excused myself, I went to the ladies room and I was having almost an anxiety attack going, what is going on? What you can, you, right. you know, all of what that. Was that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I didn't know is that during my audition, Neil had turned to everybody because they were out in the theater in the dark. And after my audition and I walked off the stage, he, he said, hire that girl, I'm going to marry her. So. So who knew? And then his two daughters, Ellen and Nancy, who are my daughters, um, they uh, came and uh, we met and spent, you know, a couple of hours together. And they knew that their dad was interested and everything. And so they called us into his office at the house um, and said, well, why doesn't Marsha move in and we won't tell our friends you're not married? So um, I think that that's partly what prompted Neil and, and I to move as quickly as we did. But then, you know, you, so you do it and then you, you, uh, you know, don't have any idea of what you're really getting into. And then you spend the next 10 years figuring it out. Well, it's sort of like an arranged marriage, right? Like on yeah. paper, there's yeah, it is in a way. Yeah, works, and now you know that's, that's a really good point. It. I had never thought of it that way, and you're right. It is. It is a lot like an arranged marriage. Yeah. Why do you think it worked as well as it did for as long as it did? Because most weddings like that, the sort of Vegas wedding, mm -hmm. a week later there's an annulment, and everyone is like, "Oh my God." I'm so sorry, family, friends. I know we must have seemed insane. Um, I'm back. What, what, um, the part that you described though, kind of like unknowable, inexplicable. Yeah. I don't know, that feeling when you patted his hand, like, were, did you, were you two souls that had known each other in another life? Like, do you have a thought about that? Or was it actually really hard the whole time? <laughs> No, no. I mean, it would, for the most part, 
it was the only really tough part was interestingly enough around first this the reality of it all and then neil not having had a chance to really grieve mm -hmm. and so that part was hard for me because then he cut off and and it and i was kind of left in this house with these two girls and you know uh, a husband who's grieving for another woman and um so that was hard but i had made the commitment and um and then the trip i think the move to la was uh, a real godsend because we got a chance to have a new life our own place the girls uh went to new schools and everybody got a new a new beginning and you and fell so, in love with those girls yeah and and for them too you know yeah. so because it was new for all of us together so it was an adventure and um and then i think both neil and i had such respect for each other's work he really respected my work and i really respected his and so uh, I, I remember we went to a, a tennis thing in Vegas one weekend when a celebrity pro thing. And uh, there was a, a gentleman there who uh, was newly married and he had grown sons. And he uh, took me aside and wanted to know how, how I was dealing with this new world and everything. And so I, you know, I told him and, and, um, and it was very difficult because his lady uh, didn't want to have any pictures of the wife around, you know, or the mother. And I had done the opposite. I, 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 I included Joan always, and I was never, I never felt uh, slighted on that level um, at all. Now, I never you... felt jealous of her. Your, you and I have a very strange connection, which is I, my Broadway debut was in a play called Jake's Women. And oh my gosh, I played, it's a memory play, Alan Alda yeah. plays Neil and yeah, I yeah, Joan. Um, in oh my god, strange, I forgot, yeah, flashback scenes, um, where it's all these women in his life trying to get him to move on. Um, and, and he's holding on to, you know, this is like 10 years, I think after you guys. Yes, it so was, it was the first it. thing that I think he wrote after the divorce and I saw it. And so you, you know, your voice is all over that play. And I just think, and chapter two, obviously is, is also a piece of theater and celluloid we're we're yeah. unearthing and i think it really became i mean what's so powerful about the work you guys did together is it really became a place for people uh to see sort of role models in grieving in that it doesn't go in linear that grief isn't linear like okay no. i've grieved no. and then i've met this great woman and now we're together like like yeah. the waves of it and the yeah. and the desire to move on and also remain true to the the person you know they didn't divorce she passed right so yeah. it wasn't a decision two people made to break up that's and right I feel like 
also the thing that I will never forget about Neil, um, you know, I'd heard about Doc Simon and sort of how brilliant he was as a comedic surgeon. But I also remember that I found even more fascinating is if something wasn't working right away, his immediately, his, his instinct was, it's not good. And we'd all be like, no, 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 just give us one second. Like we just got the page. And he'd yeah. be like, no, you're all really good. If it's not working, it's me. And we'd be like, wait, like this is, Alan would just be like, Neil, this is gold. I just, I misread it, you know? And yeah. Yeah. The, um, sort of humility of that, like to have written as much as he had, to have done, you know, comedy writing and, and to be called the doctor of yeah. comedy and, and the immediate assumption that if it's not working, it's Neil Simon's fault. I will just never forget that I learned a lot in that way. I mean, Alan is an actor of the same generation who was a feminist, like one yeah. of these yeah. rare, like here's a man, you know, who was the same age as Neil or around the same age, I think, and was completely about communication and, um, you know, when you just talk about that generation of men, Ray Stark and- and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing their best, right? Like right. Neil, Neil saying, I don't want my wife to work. Okay, well, actually I want her to work and she's gonna, you know, be nominated for every award. Like, like <laughs> right. both things lived inside him at the same yeah. time. Um, anyway, I just wanted to tell you that because you were you your name and your presence and your um, effect on all of us knowing how much you were part of his story. And then just a total aside is I knew David Florumbi for a minute and then he married one of you. Like, it's just crazy. Oh, my God. You know, so David. I know. Like, oh, like how cool. A lifetime ago. Um, yeah. I mean, I remembered seeing an unmarried woman and I remembered goodbye girl and as a young young person and I show them to my daughter even though there are parts of it that still feel like she's waiting for him to come back right instead yeah, of yeah. I'm good like go do your thing and if it <laughs> right like it is an old-fashioned yeah comedy but there's so much love there and for me I was just talking to a friend whose parents were divorced and so Quinn was yeah. her way into the story right right a lot of a lot of people were because she was she, well and she i mean she was so interesting she was really good and naturally um yeah and then she lost her father while we were shooting the picture yes i mean yeah but also that could have gone i mean it can go so wrong like yeah, kid actors, yeah. it just, I mean, that was a three person play. Yeah. So if there was one weak link, it would have been a disaster. Yeah. 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 It just was, yeah, yeah. It, was, it worked. So does that feel like yesterday or not really at this point? Um, you know, the good parts of the memories and all of it, absolutely. Um, they do live there with me. I don't think of them as 45 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm brought up short uh, when at times when I think about the, um, the decades, but, um, and, and also from this perspective, it's like I said, it's so different. I can look back and I go, oh, that's who I was, you know? So 
so that's kind of an interesting too. Can you, um, have you seen the film recently? No, I, I generally don't look at films once I've done them because I was, uh, I fortunately, it was Dustin. I read an article once that Dustin said, you should go to your dailies, you should see, you know, everything. But there are directors I, like Tony Richardson, who I was supposed to do a project with, and he, he would not have let me see it. And I said, you, I said, that's crazy, you know, but um, so I always went and I was totally objective about my own work. And it was really interesting because Herb Ross and I always chose exactly the same take, always. And so I knew that I had a good eye for my own work and that I I could watch myself and be totally objective. And so, you know, uh, once I saw it all together and put together, then I never really needed to to go back. One, there was one time I was somewhere in, in an apartment or whatever, and the television was on and one of my films went on and I thought, oh, I wonder who that is. That voice is so familiar. <laughs> I will go in and I look and I will, oh, it's me. Okay. When you think back, like, I mean, you're, you're truly one of the biggest movie stars of your generation. Mm. Um, and I think now to like what it is to not just do the work, but the expectations of actors beyond just doing the part, like all of the pressures to promote a film, to oh. do the red carpet oh. of the film. Oh, to... I have such respect for all the women who are working today. You know, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence and Jessica Chastain and all of them, because what they have to do now, I could not do. So that was, so tell me what your, I mean, you were, you went to the Oscars 1 million times. You won 1 million awards. I know. You and look, nobody asked me about my dress. Really? <laughs> and so would you, but how would you do it? Like people weren't, stylists aren't calling and saying, no, like, we never buy did. your own dress. Yeah. My, the first time I went, I went and I got a white pantsuit I think it was and it because Neil and I were giving out an award and this was prior to um me my my own uh going for myself um and I think the last time I went I asked Bob Mackey to design a dress for me but it was I mean it was that was just what we did nobody asked me you know, maybe they did, but I mean, it wasn't what it is. I didn't have a stylist. I didn't, you know what I mean? I did my own makeup. I did my own hair. Um, yeah, and you went and you you got to sit with all these incredible people and that you admired and you're grateful that you're part of it. I mean, to be nominated still for me is, because the rest of it is kind of a crapshoot, yeah. really. Yeah. And a lot of it is in now, especially um, the amount of money that's spent and the way that pictures are made. It's just so expensive. Everything mm -hmm. is so expensive. Right. And it just if it doesn't work, it's tougher because yeah. 
There's been a lot of people and a lot of money and a lot of reputations and people are tougher now, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Where did you start? I mean, I know you actually, I didn't even read this in the credits. I know you're a teacher as well. Um, was there coming up uh, in acting philosophy that you sort of, you know, kept close to you, like the Bible? Who, who were your early teachers that, and, and what still sticks with you to this day in your process? Um, the, the very first uh, teacher I had was a fellow by the name of, in New York, was because I had a, I had a great drama department in my school. And there we weren't necessarily taught any one specific thing, but um, I got a chance to work right away. And I think that was a big plus. And I had a teacher who really, really thought I was talented and thought that I had something that she called timing, which she said can't be taught. So, so by having that, that sense of, uh, confidence because the, she gave it to me. She was a nun. So it was like, she was really good too. She was a director. And, um, and then when I got to New York, I studied basically, um, Jim Tuttle was an acolyte of, you know, Schneider and all of that. Uh, and then I had a wonderful teacher, uh, which was Daryl Hickman, who was a child actor. And he put together uh, a process that he gleaned over years of all these different teachers, Bobby Lewis, uh, Boleslavsky, Stanislavsky, Michael um, Chekhov, um, uh, and a couple of others. And um, I had another brief teacher called Jacobina Caro, who was part of the group theater. And she was Kim Stanley's coach. Um, so I, I just took all of these, these experiences and these teachers and found my way. And all I knew was that you just had to believe it, that you had to make sure that the audience would believe it was true. So, you know, that process is sometimes it's outside in and sometimes it's inside out, you know, it depends. Sometimes I'll put, especially period stuff. If I put on a costume, a lot of times that helps enormously what I'm wearing. And then over the years, you know, it's been, I start to get visions, you know, of what I see um, as I'm reading a script and I, I kind right. of, old to those explain what you mean about that like can you tell me what you mean well for example uh and only when i laugh when i read the script the phone call to the therapist i saw it in in a in a phone booth and i knew exactly what was supposed to happen now when we got to it uh, it was in a huge office building and it was just a, 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 a thing on the wall, but I had that image and I knew from that moment on that I understood what the conflict of the character was. So something always kind of grabs me. And then when I was doing Mary Stewart at the Amundsen, 
I remember I had a very clear idea somehow of my clothes. And then uh, the same thing happened on Frasier. I, when I read the script, I immediately saw Sherry uh, with ruffles and a short skirt, you know? So when I talked to the costume lady on the phone, she said, you know, I keep thinking there's maybe rough. I said, yes, there were ruffles, ruffles, got ruffles. Yeah, so those magical. Yeah. Um, In the time that we have left, I want to talk about something that you've been so forthcoming about, which is meditation and Uh, sort of a spiritual life, because I feel like for people, for most artists, and, and luckily you moved into directing and organic farming and all of these other chapters you've had in your life where you got to have control of your yeah. race car yeah. driving, maybe not control, but you could get up and do it every day uh, yeah. without someone hiring you to do it. Um, but, you know, for so many people listening who, who are either starting out in the arts or just lovers of the arts, feeling like their self-worth is so wrapped up in whether they have a job on any given day, um, it can be just really debilitating, right? Oh, like totally. It's a very painful thing. Well, you can't have your identity being wrapped up in your work, because then if you're not going to get to work, then you're without your own, your own being. And that I had to learn. And I learned it on the flip side after in the 80s, when all of a sudden the business changed, work wasn't coming as much. I threw all the pieces of my life up in the air like a kaleidoscope and said, well, let's see what pattern comes down and wound up in Abiquiu, New Mexico. And I became an organic farmer. But um, I learned in that process that 20 years or so out there of working a farm and which I didn't plan on, but it happened because I just got interested in a lot of things. I think you have to have curiosity about life to be good at the at what we do and I think you have you have to you have to know who you are so that you can play other people and find yourself in other people meaning other characters right was it in New Mexico were you always you you had nuns telling you you were funny so there was obviously a spiritual life introduced to you obviously catholicism is very different yes yes and i always had um that's always been a fairly strong now i don't i'm not a church going catholic i left the church as soon as i graduated college but i got interested in all kinds of eastern and uh, basically wound up you know being a, a siddha yogi and um and uh, I do, you know, I, I do think meditation is major. And I think work can be a meditation. So, so I've, I've been able to integrate those two things very, um, hopefully, successfully, you know, so that I have some kind of balance. Um, whereas before, when my identity was wrapped up in being an actor only, um, I, I had a little mini crisis there for a, a couple of years while mm-hmm. I tried to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so that practice is still a part of your life. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, very much so. Wow. I mean, if you think about it, you you went from like Hollywood power couple to farmer. <laughs> <laughs> With the racing in between. <laughs> Your friend Paul Newman. Um, yes. Wow. Marsha, when you when you sort of look back, I guess I'm going to ask you to just think of a couple of words to describe the 70s in Hollywood. What sort of comes to mind during that time? Um, there was a lot of fun. There was a lot of fun because it was manageable. You had, you know, you had dinner parties, you know, with six or eight people. There was a lot of talent and, uh, there and it was fun. But at the same time, um, it doesn't go on forever. And so that's a, another adjustment that mm -hmm. I think is, is also part of what how to test your own metal um because you have to you know go with <laughs> the flow and so you'll be up high you know maybe for uh, some years and then maybe not you know what i mean yeah and you have to find your way yeah. um and it's hard I, it's very hard but you found your way back to the theater yeah, both as a performer and well, and I also I started out there. I never planned the Hollywood part. <laughs> That's you why know, it's so I great. never planned it. Yeah. In fact, my very first trip out to uh, L.A. on my way to ACT, which was you know a rep rep company in San Francisco, I I took a look at Beverly Hills and I thought, oh my God, I can't live here. There wasn't anybody on the street. And it was scary, you know what I mean? I thought, oh, I, I can't live here. I mean, so yeah, you just don't know what and life is gonna for present. for a time, you were the mayor of that street. Um, <laughs> I wanna just ask before I let you go, can you share a little known fact about yourself with uh, my listeners? Um, well, what isn't known? I mean, a little known fact, like what? Um, what's a little known fact? Like who's the most famous person you ever slept with? The most famous person? <laughs> I guess Albert Finney. There you go. You win. <laughs> you win little known facts. Marcia Mason, I waited a long time to thank you in person for your incredible inspiration as an artist, uh -huh. a humanitarian, and uh all around goddess thank you for being on the podcast today. oh thank I don't you to share this what a joy oh thank you so much i've had such a nice time thank you well i hope you will come back because this was very goodbye girl centric but there's about a hundred other things to talk about okay so sure I'm, we'll I'm do it again please have you all right have the most wonderful day all right you too bye, bye. One more thing, I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast. 
First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts social media intern is Sophia Rosenbaum. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.